Thank you, choir, for that wonderful musical offering. It's now that we turn to hear God's word for us today. And as we do so, let's first pray for illumination, that God might open our hearts and minds to what God has to, to say and offer to us today. Lord our God, you're so good and generous and exceedingly loved, loving. Lord, I pray that in our time together as we hear your words in scripture and through this message that we might hear your good news, that we might learn of your love, and that that love of yours might shape our hearts to conform to the likeness of your sons who is exceedingly generous and joyful and compassionate. So come, Holy Spirit, for we are ready and waiting. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Uh, there is a little bit of an audible this morning in worship. We will not be doing the first scripture lessons from 2 Corinthians. We're just going to dive into the Gospel of Mark. So Lee is going to come up and read that for us now. This is Mark chapter 12, verses 38 through 44. As he taught, he said, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and to have the best seats in the synagogues and places of honor at banquets. They devour widows' houses and for the sake of appearance, say long prayers, they will receive the greater condemnation. He sat down opposite the treasury and watched the crowd putting money into the treasury. Many rich people put in large sums. A poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which are worth a penny. Then he called his disciples and said to them, Truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the treasury. For all of them have contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. This is the word of the Lord. Over the past couple of weeks, we've been diving into a season of learning about stewardship. And so far, we've learned that the word stewardship means that someone, and in this case, God, has entrusted us with something to take care of. And we've been learning about how God is so exceedingly generous in entrusting us with so much. I'm recalling Pastor Stacy's sermon in which she noted how we are giving, given minds and hands and hearts to take care of, and also to use these things to take care of others. I'm mindful of last week in which we had Andy Bassardi from the Reformed Church in America here 
who's, uh, who has this wonderful title. Um, he is the Reformed Church's Director for Equipping Thriving Congregations. And last week, he did a wonderful job encouraging us to see that stewardship of God's things is to take care of God's things in like manner to how God would take care of them. In Jesus, uh, God shows us the heart for how God sets the world to right. And so we, in taking care of Jesus' ministry, refuse to accept status quos like Jesus did, and instead presently invest in overcoming these injustices in the world presently, so that heaven is revealed a little more fully among us. Now, Pastor Stacy and Andy did a wonderful job in this in their sermons, and it's been a wonderful season of reflection so far. But that ends today. <laughs> it ends today. I'm just kidding. I promise it'll be good. <laughs> but I say this because we're talking about that part of stewardship that is both extremely delicate and extremely important. Today we're going to reflect on how offering up a part of our financial earnings, our money, has its place in following Jesus and in the life of stewardship. And having said that, perhaps some of us have checked how close we are to the exit and how we need to take our bathroom break right now, right? But I wanna say right now that I think it can be a great time to learn something good together. And my prayer for us is to walk out these doors today knowing deep down that financial giving isn't about guilt. It's not about guilt, it's about our hearts being transformed and become closer to God's own heart. And I hope that we're freed from some of those thoughts of guilt and that it's an opportunity to become closer and more generous like God. Now in preparing to speak today and preach, there was a streak of anxiety that ran right through me. And I could only think of all the wrong reasons to give. And so I want to follow that thought for just a few minutes. And I want to start about talking about what giving isn't. And then work toward what giving is about. So here are just three, potentially, to start off, three potentially bad reasons for giving. And fascinating enough, most come from a misconception that we have about God. The first bad reason to give, strict moral obligation. This, bad re this is a bad reason to give because it's fueled by a picture of God who's some distant deity, a bearded and aged man riding clouds and quite uninvolved in the affairs of human life. It's all about rules, 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 and following these rules. And one has to give money just because you have to give it. It's like a teacher who says, hey kids, before you leave my classroom today, you got to give me all your extra lunch money that you didn't use. <laughs> Why? You just have to, otherwise you can't leave. It's arbitrary. There's no reason for it. We ask why. It's just a rule to follow. In this case, giving becomes, I'm doing it because I have to, not because I know why or I want to. 
In this scenario, giving is not about the heart. It's about going through some motions or social conventions. And worst of all, giving out of this sense, this I have to do it or else, can lead to resentment because of this fear of retribution from this distant or bearded God that I spoke about before. But this isn't the picture of God or giving in Scripture. The God of our good book is a God who is near and always draws near to us. And we see this in Jesus. And Jesus' ministry, whose redistribution of goods and money is always about giving for a purpose, for the advantage of those who have desperate need, and also to continue the ministry of sharing God's good news and good word with the world. God's aim of giving is to lift up those whose souls or whose pocketbooks are bankrupt. And so when we personally give or when we give as a church together, it's done in the heartbeat of Jesus to continue his ministry of setting things right. You might image Jesus as the teacher who says at the end of the day, hey, if you have some change left over and want to give it to me, I'll make sure that it goes to the kids who can't afford lunch or who are embarrassed to be on a school lunch program so that maybe they can buy lunch with you and not feel ostracized. And this is such a wonderful example of a teacher that it inspires you to be a teacher and lead by the same example as well. So that's the first bad reason to give. The second bad reason to give is for personal, financial, or material prosperity, otherwise known as the prosperity gospel. This is perhaps one of the most pervasive and worst things around in in our culture, religious culture. The belief about financial giving that proclaims that God just wants us to be happy and will reward us with happiness, wealth, and health, and good living when we give money. So give money and stay positive, and God will give you yours. There are choice words that I have for this. I will not say them here in this sermon. But I think this is wrong, or crap, because it comes out of a warped 20th century theology that that blesses those that do have money and disadvantages those who don't. It's contrary to the God of Scripture who loves each person equally and particularly cares to lift up the poor and downtrodden and break the cycles of injustice that are perpetuated when people who have power or wealth or status use those things to keep people down and ingratiate themselves in those things in their life. I don't like this theology because it purports a false God who waits for us to give before blessing us. The God of the gospel instead gives generously to us just because, just because God loves us. And it's never about material gain, but grace. We do nothing to earn it. God desires us to be whole and flourish and experience joy, but not by payment, rather by following that heartbeat of God and God's will that we see in Jesus. And it might not always lead to wonderful, blessed experiences in life. Case in point, Jesus. Jesus was not blessed with rulers throwing gold at him, but he was thrown up on a tree as a criminal. 
we do not give money or any part of ourselves because we believe God is keeping a list and will give us material rewards in return. No. We live in communion and connection and obedience and following God because we believe that is the goal of life, to live with God and to be inwardly transformed through this relationship. And the gift is the gift of life with God. Third and final false reason to give. We feel indebted to God for what God has done in Jesus, and we're trying to pay God back. And maybe this false teaching has more to do with how we feel or think inwardly, and perhaps a a misunderstanding about God. Perhaps your inward thoughts are, man, God has not truly forgiven me. Does God know my past? Perhaps you're trying to then pay back God. And and so tithing or or giving an offering, putting something on that plate, is about putting down payments for that when that shoe drops and God comes and says, yeah, your sins were just that bad, actually. But let me tell you something. God gave us the gift of his only son with no strings attached. If God wasn't all in and committed, God would not have sold out everything and given it to you and to us. He wouldn't have sent his son. And yet, God does give us the most precious thing to him. And furthermore, what makes us think that we can even begin to pay God back for what gift of grace we have received? And maybe that's a scandal to wrestle with, that God's been so generous with forgiveness that we could never pay God back even if we tried. All the gold of the world wouldn't do it. So we need to stop any emotion, anything that's tied to giving money to God to make us feel like we're paying God's back. Grace is not a loan, it is a gift. And the gift is these words, you are forgiven. The reason why I think it's so uncomfortable to talk about this in the church, about about money, is because there's so many pervasive false teachings and narratives that we can hold to at times about giving. And it makes me deeply, deeply sad that there's so much shame and guilt and heartache around this subject. And if you felt some shame or wound in your heart when thinking about this, I want to say I'm sorry for that. And that that's not of God. The Holy Spirit never shames us. The Holy Spirit will convict and convince us of what is right and true and good, but never shame us and leave us feeling like a good for nothing. So let's set aside those those thoughts and those hurts and those feelings for a moment because I want to share a little bit about how God set giving up in Scripture. And I think we can see God's heart, and I think we can then be moved for our own hearts to be transformed and grow closer to God. You see, in the Old Testament, laws and structures about giving were set up when Israel was taken from from Egypt and led through the Red Sea, through the wilderness, and were on the precipice of the promised land. And just before they stepped foot in there, God said, hold up, I need to tell you a few things to share with you a way of life that will help you flourish in this new place. 
Notice how God is, is close and intimate in speaking and speaks through Moses about giving and tithing. Tithing is a word that shows up in the Old Testament and it, it means to give one-tenth of the produce or earnings to God. It's what the word means and was used in the time of Moses and has been used in successive generations in religious institutions and faith traditions. For Israel specifically, God commanded three tithes the sacred tithe, the feast tithe, and the tithe for the poor. The sacred tithe is perhaps something we're most familiar with. It's an offering back to God. The people of the nation of Israel believed in the psalmist's words, which said, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. They were part of this agrarian, agricultural-based society, and so giving back to God meant giving back 10% of the best of what they had, whether it was grain or food, fruit, and give it to the temple. This would then go to the priests of God's house who devoted themselves to studying God's word, to leading God's people in worship and helping them to navigate their faith journey as God's people. This particular offering was supposed to be given as a gift of gratitude back to God. And it was always about those first fruits which Joanne spoke of, the, not the last of, of something, but the first and the best. Not the spoiled rotten apples at the bottom of the barrel, but the good stuff. This first tithe was a gift of gratitude to God and to those who helped teach God's people. The second, you might be quite interested in the second, it was the feast tithe. God literally instructed God's people to store up money for festivals and parties. <laughs> this is good news, right? <laughs> well, not just any party, I'm sorry to say. God said, I want you to really remember and celebrate who I am and who you are. And so set aside a tithe, 10% of your yearly earnings, so that you can journey to Jerusalem and take this vacation, and so you can go there for festivals like Passover that remind you of who you are and give meaning and expression to your life. The second tithe was about joy. It's about celebration. It's about joyful hospitality. Our God is one who recognizes that life is good and something to be enjoyed. And so this tithe is God caring for, for his people, for us, so that we rem might remember who we are and do so with joy. It'd be like God saying, make sure that you save up and throw open the doors to celebrate, well, my birth at Christmas. Lastly, the third tithe was for the poor. God commanded his people to give a tithe, a tenth of their income once every third year, so roughly 3.333 repeated every single year, to go to the poor. And it's so beautiful to see God's grace and care for the poor, the widow, the orphan, those who don't have much or anything. But God was even more faithful than that and thoughtful and generous and kind. In addition, the people who had a field were to leave the edges unplucked and picked so that those who were traveling by could come and receive food as they had need. The strangers and the aliens who were passing through without a homeland could receive and be cared for by this generous God. And further, if you were poor, you did not have to tithe. You could give a free will offering, which is what's going on in our story from the widow, but you weren't required to give. 
In all, with these three tithes, on paper, the people of Israel, God's people tithe about 23.333% repeated per year. It's a lovely number, but it's deeper than the number. God was inviting his people toward such a wonderful vision of individual and communal generosity, of gratitude, of joy, of compassion. And as I learned about these things, I was overwhelmed by a beautiful picture of a God who is generous and a God who desires us to be well, be so as well. Take a moment with me and just imagine you need a job. You're out of work, and you've been out of a job for a while. You're starting to think about, oh, I'm never going to find something. You're really getting down on yourself. And one day you're standing alone on a street corner when a farmer comes up to you, and she says, hey, I need someone to work my farm stand at the Gilderland Farmer's Market. And your first thought is, I didn't know Gilderland had a farmer's market. (laughs) And secondly, you say, sure. Wonderful, she says, wonderful. I love inviting people in to share the joy of my produce, she says. And then she gets serious, and there's this, this tear, but it's a tear of joy. And she says, now I'm particular. I grew these crops and I love them and want them to go to good bellies, to any belly, really. So put a smile on when you're selling them, won't you? Now, here comes the tough part. I know you're wondering how much I'm going to pay you. So you get all bristly and anxious because that's what happens when we meet people talk about money. Through those tear-soaked eyes, you catch a glimmer of joy and she says, well, I have so much And I just want it all to go and bless those who come by. So I'm only asking for you to give me 10% back of what you sell and earn. And you can keep the rest. If you make 100 off my produce, you can keep 90. And at this point, you start to wonder who this person is and why she's being so nice. And then she says, you know, a few other things. I typically like to see my workers happy. So don't go spending it all in one place. Rather, I want you to set aside 10%, another $10 out of the 100, and this will go towards celebrating at year's end. And I want you to see you invite some people over, people you know, people you don't know, people who might not be able to throw a party themselves so that everyone can experience a joyful table of fellowship. I think it's a little bit of an odd request, but you enjoy a party or two, so why not? She continued on. Last thing. The glimmer of joy in her eye is gone, replaced with a streak of sadness. Tears again form in her eyes. My heart breaks, she says, when stomachs groan because they're empty. If you see anybody walking by who needs it, give them food and water to drink and the richness of your company. For surely the least among us receive very little in the way of kindness. Also, I have a fund that goes towards seed and soil, which will end up in a harvest of produce for the least of all. I would love it if you were able to take a tiny bit, maybe $3 out of that 100 to offer that up. And with a warm smile, she says, I love this work. I'm so glad you're joining me. I hope that one day you come to share the love that I have for this work too. God is like this woman farmer who sees us, who knows we need purpose, 
and who loves us just for who we are and who loves us enough to invite us into this work. God is like this woman farmer who wants us to share in her love, a love that shapes our heart with gratitude and joy and compassion. After learning about tithing in the Old Testament, I've learned that God always saw tithing as a spiritual invitation to shape our hearts and our lives, an invitation to give expression to who we are and to live as something wonderful and beautiful in this world. And we see this come to fruition in the life of Jesus, who is the master of generosity and the MC of bringing, bringing joy to people's lives and the picture of compassion. Jesus who comes near and is about offering us an invitation for our whole lives to be shaped by love and gratefulness and joy and compassion and to allow our finances to be shaped by this as well. And I dare say that to follow Jesus in this way is the most life-giving thing we can do. For when we do not hold on to our finances with clutched fist, but as God invites us with love, a sense of gratitude, with joy and compassion, when we do this, we are living as a reflection of God. We're living into our created intent for being images of God and a reflection of God in this world. And so last thing, a tangible point. In the New Testament, there is nothing that is said about tithing. It's written into the Old Testament law and code, but Jesus frees us from the rule of law and says nothing about tithing. And yet he continues to reveal that the heart of God is loving and generous and joyful and compassionate. Paul picks up this talk about giving. He says, each of you must give as you have made up in your heart and mind, not reluctantly, for God loves a cheerful giver. And so it's important for each of us to take time, set aside, to look over our finances, to pray, thank you, God. And God, can you show me ways in which I might be generous, ways that I might be living in gratefulness, ways that I can be joyful and compassionate with what you've given me financially? There is no 10% mandate in the New Testament. Yet over time, the church has taught that offering 10% of your finances back to God's ministry is a good guideline for financial giving and learning this posture of generosity. It's not an order. It's a guideline that should guide your prayerful discernment about this and what it looks like to image this generous God. And it takes each of us to discern for ourselves what that looks like. Maybe 10% is something to strive for for you because you're just learning about giving. And you need to make changes and we need to make changes in order to accommodate that so we can live more generously. Or maybe 10% is where you're at and that's good. Or maybe God might be leading you beyond that. But my prayer for you is that you remember the work of, and the words of the generous farmer. I love this work. I'm glad you're joining me. I hope that one day you come to share the love that I have for this work. Offering our finances is about trusting a God who loves to be generous. It's about joining God. It's an invitation for our hearts to not grow cold or clamped upon our checkbook, but about our hearts being transformed by love, gratitude, joy, and compassion. Let's pray.
God, thank you for your words for us today. And I pray that if anything that I have said is not of you and not what you wish for people to hear, that it would not be remembered. But if something was good, I pray that it takes root deep within our souls, our hearts, our minds, and it leads us more deeply into life with you and to show this world what it looks like to live with you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.